<laughs> this world is crazy. That seems to be the most repeated declaration during this past week. A week that seems like a month. A month that seems like a year. And a year that seems like a decade. And what is needed in a crazy world is exactly what Van Morrison sang about 50 years ago and Sarah repeated here today. Crazy love. It's not by accident that we played that song today because it's not by accident that the Apostle Paul uses these two words together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If it seems we are crazy, he says in the New Living Translation, and we might be, it is a crazy love for the love of Christ controls us. Two words in the original context, crazy in Paul's language, it is where we get our word antihistamine. We are antihistamine. What in the world is he trying to say? Histamines in your body are re- reactionary agents that deploy by your immune system. Histamines are what make you sneeze. They are what get all inflamed that make you cough and have watery eyes. Your body is trying to expel something. And as one doctor put it to me, histamines are the bouncers in the bar. When something comes into your body that doesn't belong, that is causing trouble, the histamine starts trying to throw it out. But histamines have a tendency to overreact. When you start that sneezing and your eyes are watering and you have inflammation and itching, your histamines have flooded the zone. So you take... An antihistamine to actually disorder, to confuse your body's reaction. We are in an antihistamine state, Paul's words, our condition. We are in a state of disorder, a state of confusion. The bums have rushed the bar and in throwing them all out, everybody is getting collared. Babies and bathwaters both going out the window. It's all gone crackers That hysterical line from uh, that great movie, Ghostbusters. This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. What do you mean? Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifices. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. All right, all right. I get your point. Great exchange. Second word. Love. And if you spend any time in Sunday school, you know this word. The word here is agape. It is a word that does not belong in a romance novel. It does not necessarily fit into a love song. It can't be captured in everything that we call a love story. This is sacrificial, self-surrendering love. This is love that gives up its rights. This is love that is willing to be crucified, for this is the love of Christ. Well, love is the answer. That's something we hear these days almost as often as this world is crazy. But do we know what we are talking about when we say such a thing? Foreigner declared, I want to know what love is. I'm not so sure. Because love is not having having things the way that you want them. Or having people to be as you would have them. Love is not feeling better about life or the world. Love is not being sentimental or emotional. Love is not a utopian pipe dream where everyone suddenly magically starts getting along. That's better than hate, but it's not love. 
For the statement, love is the answer to have any credibility whatsoever, we must first recognize what actual, factual, practical, tactical love is. And I'm telling you, love is crazy too. Love is as unsettled and as unsettling as this crazy world. Do you remember the story, maybe from when you were a kid? We were still reading it when I was a kid. I think my children read it. The story of the Velveteen Rabbit. It's one of the greatest children's books of all time, right up there with The Giving Tree and Charlotte's Web and a few others. Marjorie William tells her story about a little boy who receives this sweet stuffed velveteen rabbit as a Christmas gift. And this rabbit has this Toy Story-like Disney-esque consciousness a hundred years ahead of the cartoons. And he understands that he is only a toy, but he wants to be real. And every time he uses the word real, it's capitalized. He goes to the oldest toy in the nursery, which was the skin horse, to get an answer to what is real and what it takes to become real, and the conversation goes like this. What is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you or stick out like a push handle? The Velveteen Rabbit asked the skin horse one day. The skin horse answered, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When you are loved for a long, long time, Not just to play with, but when someone really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the Velveteen Rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse. But when you are real, you don't mind being hurt. It doesn't happen all at once. You become. And it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily. Or to those who have sharp edges. Or the delicate who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, and here's the wisdom from the skin horse, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. And your eyes drop out. And you get loose in your joints. And very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. And once you are real, you cannot become unreal again because it lasts forever. That's beautiful. Love is the answer. Crazy love for a crazy world. We need great, hulking, endless doses of it. But real love will undo the world in which we live. Because it will have to undo each and every one of us. It will mean hurting. It will mean having our sharp edges worn down. It will mean being misunderstood. It will mean building bridges. It will mean surrendering some of our opinions. It will mean putting away our weapons. It will mean being rendered vulnerable and empty-handed. It will mean surrender to the love of Christ and letting that love form the crux of our identities. Verse 14, Christ's love controls us. One more word study for today. The word that Paul uses in his original language, again here, is from where we get the word sync, as in in sync. And I am not talking about Justin Timberlake's boy band from the late 1990s. No, thank you. We are brought 
in sync with the love of Christ. We don't bend our will to his. Our will is bent by him. Big difference. The word in Paul's day described a ship that had entered a narrow channel. And so the channel is so narrow and the current moving in one direction that there is no way to turn around. There is no way to get sideways. You just keep moving along with the current. It was also a word used in his day and a word that I'm more familiar with. It was the kind of restraint applied to livestock when it was time to administer their medication. Oh, the hot summer days we'd have cows in the chute. Lined up, lined up, you get them all in this giant pen, but then you narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down until there's just this one chute that is left, and in it they go, and it has these tall sides. They can't go anywhere but forward to get the medication that they need. To be compelled by love, to be controlled by love, is not to be manipulated. Manipulation and love cannot coexist. Manipulation and love cannot coexist. Rather, it is an invitation to self-surrender. It is saying, I will board this ship and I will go with the current. I will submit to the care and guidance of Christ and take the medicine, so to speak, that he would give to me. And the medicine is love itself. You don't have to turn but a few pages in your Bible or slide a few screens back on your iPhone to see what love looks like. The same man we are reading today gave us the most complete definition of agape, self-giving, sacrificing love ever put to paper. And we usually don't hear his words unless someone is standing at the altar about to say their vows. I did Liz and Dave Levels. Lovell's wedding yesterday, and this was the text that was used. I hope they're watching somewhere later. They said they would. Paul is writing to these same Corinthians, living in a world that likewise had gone off its rocker, and they were trying to figure out how to live. We need signs and wonders, some of them said. They might say today, we need better marketing. We need miracles and powerful sermons and better music. And Paul said, no, let me tell you what you need. And quoting him now, let me show you a life that is the best of all. For I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but if I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I did not love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And here he comes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures in every circumstance. Prophecy, speaking in unknown tongues, special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. 
And then appealing to the Corinthians and to us to grow into love and to grow up, Paul concludes this magnificent chapter by saying this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And now these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love isn't about liking people. Love isn't about going along to get along. Love is not about simply being nice. Love, by Paul's use of the word, isn't even an emotion. It has nothing to do with the way you feel. It has everything to do with the way we become. It's about being patient and kind. It's about checking your ego and your arrogance. It's about correcting injustice and speaking the truth. It's about forgiveness and letting go of offenses. It's about hopefully and faithfully persevering and doing good for others. It's about growing up and growing into the way of Jesus. It's about living that new life, recommitting to it every day, and sometimes, by God, recommitting it to it several times a day. It's about becoming a new creation, not by our own power, but by the power of God's love, the grace that calls us to become new people in Christ. The outstanding question is whether or not we want in on such a lifestyle. Are we willing to be shaped by this kind of love? Yes, Ronnie, give me Jesus. Well, there's no saying that says you can't go with Jesus and stay where you are. If you want this Jesus, this is what he wants for you. And if you're not interested in becoming more patient and kind, if you're not interested in becoming less jealous, less boastful, less proud, less rude, you may be asking for Jesus without a clue as to what you're getting into. Are you ready to stop demanding your own way? Do you enjoy being irritable and cranky? Do you like keeping that list of grievances? Do you turn your head to what is wrong just so long as it doesn't hurt you, yours, or your pocketbook? I'm asking these questions because these are the very things that the love of God will begin to push out of our lives. It's not perfection. God knows. But it's certainly about direction. If we are not moving in the direction of love the kind of love I've been talking about here, we are being constrained by other forces. We are out of sync with the love of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, you can be out of sync. You are allowed to go your own way. Again, love and manipulation cannot exist together. The living Christ will not force you to love He will not force you to do things his way. He only invites. He only entices. He only extends an open hand and open arms. But he's not going to make you love him or love others. Love cannot be coerced. Love cannot be forced. It can only be accepted. I'll tell you a final story. Mike Reed is a man that was born in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And he fulfilled his childhood dream of playing football for the Nittany Lions of Penn State University. He excelled multiple times. He was named an All-American, a monster playing on the defensive line. He would go on to play in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, became an All-Pro. 
He played only a few years. It's a brutal sport, football it is, especially Georgia's game yesterday. Ooh. Are there any Florida fans here today? I got money on but I got money on the Saints by the way this weekend so that's, you know, anyway cuz anyway I will get to that later. Uh it's a brutal sport so he retired early from playing football with multiple knee injuries and hand injuries. Uh how many of you knew that Mike Reed was a football player? Two. He took up a second career. Mike left the field and entered the studio. That is, he moved to Nashville as a songwriter. And just like everything he ever tried, he began to succeed. He released a few albums of his own, but it was the songs he wrote for others that got him inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame and won him a Grammy and all other kinds of awards. Forever is As Far As I Will Go, recorded by Alabama, is his song. Everywhere by Tim McGraw is his song. An entire album produced by Ronnie and Millsap and sung by Ronnie Millsap. Those are all his songs. More than 30 chart-topping songs, 12 number ones. But his masterpiece is a song co-written with Alan Shamlin. And the story behind that song goes like this. It was December 1989. And Mike Reed, now a Nashville songwriting staple, was reading the newspaper, the Tennessean to be exact. And he came across an article entitled, Winos Sleep It Off Wherever. There it is. It was a story about Nashville's homeless problem. And a man gives an account of why he is on the street. And I'm not making this up. It's why I included it here. The man's name was Big John. And his drinking had cost him everything. His job, his house, and finally his wife. And his wife comes to pick him up under the bridge where he sleeps to take him to court to finalize their divorce. That's a country song right there, is it not? Ten or twelve country songs. I'll read from the Tennessean. The Vietnam veteran with a disability pension lifts the bottle of Thunderbird to his lips and says, that is masterful writing right there. I don't know who wrote that. My drinking drove her away, and now I drink to forget her. (laughs) It's awful. It's just awful. And then Big John says, we both sat there and cried in the courtroom. But you can't make a damn woman love you if she don't. Songwriting lightning caught in a bottle right there. Mike and Alan took that story and worked on a single song for six months. And it started out as this up-tempo, bouncing bluegrass song that they were going to pitch to Ricky Skaggs. God help. But after they had run it through its paces in Mike's basement, they knew that only one person in the world could sing this song. The eternal Bonnie Raitt who turned 71 years young today who at 40 years of age recorded this song, crossed over from country to become a pop pop icon with an equally eternal song. Three people were in the room the day that the song was recorded. A drummer, a bass player, and Bruce Hornsby making a guest appearance on the piano. 
She laid down the track in three takes, and the only reason that she couldn't make it in one is that she broke down crying in the first two. Big John ought to get the royalties on this song, but he doesn't. Epically sad, unavoidably true. I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something it won't. Here in the dark in these final hours, I will lay down my heart and I'll feel the power. But you won't. No, you won't. Because I can't make you love me if you don't. Mike Reed has said that he hears that song being covered everywhere and no one knows that it's his song, but he doesn't care. He said, quote, even when it is being butchered by some amateur in a restaurant bar, I am still touched by it because it is the cry for love, for a crazy converting love. It is a cry for willing surrender.